What's it like to be a chronically ill nurse who's forced to redesign your entire life and career in response to your health? Let's talk all about it with freelance nurse writer Ashley Hay, right here on episode 222 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I am so grateful you're here, whether it's your first time tuning in or maybe you've been hanging out with me on the airwaves for months or years. Thank you for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, and beyond. And did you know you can leave a rating and review for The Nurse Keith Show over on iTunes and Apple Podcasts? Well, you can, and it really helps other people find the show. So if you do that for me, pretty please, Let me know you did, and I will thank you on air and read your review for all to hear. This episode of The Nurse Keith Show is sponsored by Carson Newman University, offering a full suite of 100% online nursing degree programs to meet your educational needs. They offer the following online degrees, RN to BSN, RN to MSN, MSN slash Family Nurse Practitioner, and a Postmaster's FNP Certificate. With stress-free clinical placements and unrivaled student support, their accredited online courses are designed for busy nurses like you. Please visit them at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Nurse Keith Carson Newman. That is bit.ly forward slash Nurse Keith Carson Newman. This special link will be located in the show show notes just for you. Meanwhile, you can find those show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 222. So we are here with Ashley Hay, a medical writer and nurse and so much more joining us from San Diego, California. Hey, Ashley, how are you? Hi, Keith. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad to have you here. And we're going to talk all about your career and everything. But the first thing, I want to jump right in. I'm just going to go for it. So what is it like being a freelancer and a nurse out there in the world, not working as a clinician anymore, just like me? Well, it is interesting for sure. I found that in the beginning, I kind of did struggle with a little bit of my ego, I guess. Um, I had very much identified a lot of my my personality, really, um, to being a nurse and being on the front lines. I kind of feel like I grew up in nursing. I mean, I was a nurse right before my 21st birthday. Uh, and wow. I had done, you know, yeah, okay. I had done bedside for 12 years. Um, so once I kind of really was forced to kind of step away from the bedside for reasons that I'm sure we'll get into further, I struggled with that. You know, I, I really missed missed and still miss bedside care. But on the flip side, having been a freelancer and working from home now for a little bit, I really enjoy the freedom it gives me. And more so, um, I like to a point to be uncomfortable and to do things that kind of scare me and challenge me because I find that when I'm usually the most scared to try something, it's when I end up getting the most growth out of it. So for me, kind of the uncertainty around um, freelance has really given me a different level of satisfaction that I, I did not experience so much in my bedside career. It's 
not that I, you know, didn't experience it. It's just really different. I can echo that. And maybe one of the uncomfortable things you're doing is like agreeing to be on Nurse Keith's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh my God, he's so scary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so scary. You know, you in that very relaxing voice, it's very scary. I know, it's so scary. <laughs> anyway, um, so you've done adult and PD onc, right? Mm -hmm. And you did yeah. that for a decade or so, right? And did you do that all in California or have you lived and worked in other parts of the country or the world? I am originally from the East Coast. Mm -hmm. uh, my very first nursing job was at Sloan Kettering in New York City. And I started in adult oncology, being a brand new nurse, you know the deal, I had mm -hmm. to take a night position. So I started on a, a GI surgical floor, um, patients with GI and esophageal um, based cancers. So a lot of a lot of nighttime emergencies, got a lot of code management, a lot of uh, experience there for sure. I did that for about a year and I really had always had a desire to do pediatric oncology. So I decided to apply. Um, I ended up working in their uh, inpatient unit there. Got a lot of experience also still working nights, doing some uh, transplant, just you name it. And we kind of covered it there. Um, and I just, I loved working with those kids. I really did. There's something really resilient about um, pediatric onc patients. They're just really incredible to me. Um, and they hold this huge spot in my heart. I met incredible kids. Uh, um, and I'm sure because you loved it so much and loved them so much, they could feel it like through every smile and every gesture that you, you made in their presence, right? I, I sure hope so. I bet. Um, I just bet. as much as I hope I influence them, you know, they, I feel like uh, with bedside care, whether it's adult or children, you know, it's such a privilege to kind of be part of their journey and their experience. And um, to me, I felt like it was very important in my formative years too. You know, it taught me a lot about life and love and compassion and just, you know, really kind of helped me see humanity from a different perspective. Um, so I'm, I'm always really grateful for, for my nursing years there. So, and the pediatric oncology, the reality of that, like I've talked to and interviewed some pediatric oncology nurses for various websites I do interviews and articles for. And for people like me and other people, they hear pediatric oncology and they're like, oh my God, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot stethoscope, right? But then luckily there are people like you who are willing to do it because these kids need people like you who are who are really into it and want to be present for them. I couldn't do it myself, but I my hat's off to you for, for doing that for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I would get that a lot, whether it was from other nurses or people who are not in the healthcare profession at all. Gosh, how could you, you know, do that? It might, you know, it's one thing to see or help an adult patient die, but it's quite different when it's, you know, a two, three, five, six-year-old. Oh, yeah. And I agree, it, it is different. But in, you know, the same kind of idea, I, like I, for example, I look at labor and delivery nurses, and I knew very early on in nursing school that was not for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I look at those nurses with the same kind of reverence, I guess, you know, where I think, wow, that's that's really something I could not ever do. You, you just could not pay me enough. It, when it's happy, it it just still wasn't for me. And when it was sad, it was just really sad. Um, so I think, you know, we're all kind of where we need to be given our strengths, really. And for me, it was just, it was something I, 
I really got a lot of satisfaction out of. But again, you know, an easy uh, area to burn out in. I can only imagine. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, And at that time, too, I wanted to go back to school and obtain my bachelor's degree because I did not have that. Um, So I decided to go back to school online and um, look for a daytime position. And I ended up getting um, an adult outpatient oncology job at um, still at Sloan, uh, more infusion based. And I grew a lot there. Um, I was able to more so focus on, you know, climbing the clinical ladder and getting, you know, more certification, finishing up my bachelor's. Then kind of fast forward, I ended up getting married. My husband and I decided to move out to San Diego. I took a nursing position in adult oncology out here. Uh, I did a little bit of clinical research, which was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to run a couple of trials on that. And then I (laughs) went back to pediatric oncology because I missed it. And I needed to go per diem, uh, work you know, kind of on my terms, a mm-hmm. few more hours. And uh, then I, like I said, you know, I had some personal circumstances uh, with my health and I somehow ended up in this crazy world of freelance here that I, I find myself in. Join the club. So it's, been, it's been a long, a long journey. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the personal challenges because you and I have both been living with and continue to live with chronic illnesses and conditions of various kinds. I've talked about some of my stuff here on the show, and I'll talk about more today, maybe. So during the course of your work as a clinician, is that when you realized you had a chronic illness and that it started to impact your ability to do your job as a clinician? Because there's probably a nurse out there listening right now who is possibly in the same boat right now. So can you tell us a little bit about what that process was like and what happened in your mind and in your heart as that change became apparent that you were going to have to change something about your lifestyle and work style? Sure. Yeah. And I I agree. I do think it's uh, important to bring this up, you know, because I, in disclosing um, so much kind of, you know, personal information about my illness, I hope that I am able to reach other nurses and, and show them, you know, if, if you're suffering, there there are so many other opportunities that you can do away from the bedside that are still incredibly satisfying. Mm. But yeah, unfortunately, my issues with chronic illness started much earlier. I would say when we really started to know that things were wrong, I was a junior in high school and we ended up finding out that I had a primary immune deficiency. So I know it sounds like a mouthful. Um mm-hmm. But basically, I don't make the same antibodies to cover myself from infection um, that everyone else does. So I had to start infusions of IVIG, which is where my love for pediatric nursing really started, particularly Pedzonc, because there was no other floor to transfuse me. So I would get my infusions every three weeks on a pediatric oncology infusion clinic. And I saw what those nurses were doing there. I saw those kids and I thought, I am strangely comfortable here and I can do this. Fascinating. Um, and you were a teenager at the time, right? So this was discovered when you were a junior in high school. So you were 16 or 17. That's right. Right. Yeah. And okay. then um, as it kind of went on in my 20s, I started to experience a lot of autoimmune symptoms. You know, the immune system is a complex thing. And sometimes when one thing gets fixed, the other part goes haywire. And unfortunately, that's, I suppose, what kind of started to happen. So 
as I was a clinician, you know, in working and living in New York City, I had always really struggled to be able to have the energy to do 12-hour shifts. I started to suffer with a lot of joint pain in my early 20s. And things just really kind of progressed where I got really quite sick, Mm -hmm. um, debilitating migraines, debilitating fatigue, Mm. just debilitating joint pain to the point where I was having difficulty walking, sitting. Um, I was really underweight. So I ended up having to go out on disability. Uh, I'd say maybe around 25 or so mm-hmm. at the age of 25. And it sounds um, like Lyme disease. I mean, it, it, a lot of these symptoms, what you're talking about. Right. And, yeah. you know, that's the other frustrating thing, too, is, um, you know, particularly I find with chronic illness, especially in women, you know, there's there's a lot of things that go unanswered and a lot of unknown. And I'm, you know, doing so much better now, um, but it has been a very long road, a lot of different medications, infusions, injections, and a lot of things that didn't work. And, you know, there's still some uncertainty surrounding, you know, a lot of my symptoms, Uh, but you have to just kind of keep the faith and get a good support system and just kind of keep going. And, And luckily, really for me, I guess my biggest takeaway for your audience in this was that the most, one of the most healing things I was able to do for myself was to remove myself from the bedside situation. You know, I was getting sick so frequently picking up everything. It was so physical. I was so fatigued mentally and emotionally that I really had to take a step back and say, yes, I love this. This is my career and my identity, but I can find a a different path for myself um, and Mm -hmm. still be okay. Okay. You know, and, and ultimately that's, that's how we kind of ended up here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It takes a lot of courage to share publicly about one's physical or mental health struggles, right? Like I've shared periodically in my writing and here that I struggle with PTSD, struggle with depression, and I also have chronic pain. I have a very rare bone disease and it causes me a lot of chronic pain and difficulty walking and doing certain things. And I had a grievous injury two years ago and I walk with a, right now, an ergonomic crutch rather than a cane. I find the ergonomic crutch is better on my joints. But when I was working as a nurse and starting to have a lot of these types of symptoms, my story sounds very similar to yours. I was not an inpatient nurse. I found my heart in home health and hospice and and working out in the community. And I worked with a lot of people with chronic illness, HIV, et cetera, et cetera. So I had a lot of compassion for people with chronic illness, especially chronic pain, and also people struggling with PTSD and trauma and whatnot. And I also agree with you around this whole notion of identity. And can you tell me a little more about the struggle you were having as you were coming to terms with the fact that, hmm, maybe I can't do this floor nursing thing anymore, and maybe I need to figure out how to work from home, but my entire identity is wrapped up in being a nurse and being a clinician and like putting my hands on on people and suffering children. So what were the some of the questions and some of maybe the internal arguments you were having with yourself about making this monumental shift in the way that you work and earn a living? Right. I would love to tell you that, you know, 
oh, I came to this decision so easily. And, uh-huh. and you know, but um, anyone who, who knows me well will tell you I can be one of the most stubborn people. And that came to be very much true in that um, it really came to kind of a breaking point where, you know, my husband and I, um, we have been together since I was very young, mm-hmm. um, 22. So he's really been through a lot of this with me. And, you know, I had told you a little bit about how, you know, we moved to California thinking, okay, maybe like if we don't have the winters, right. you know, she'll do a little better. Right. Maybe um, if I'm not working inpatient, I'll do a little better. Maybe if I go per diem and I don't have to work so much, I'll mm-hmm. do better. Maybe I can get, and then, you know, I moved into more of a desk position at some point doing case management. And when all of this was still just not able to remedy the issue, Mm -hmm. I, you know, my husband pretty much sat me down and said, look, you are incredibly smart. I know that you can figure something else out, but you cannot keep doing this to yourself because it's at a point now where I know your drive to help patients because you have such an incredible perspective, right? Being on both sides of the bed rails. Mm -hmm. He said, but at this point, it's doing you a direct disservice and we need to find something else for you and we will find it, but you have to be willing to let go a little. What a man. Oh my God. I mean, I don't find him. (laughs) My husband rocks. He's so incredible. Does he have Um, a brother? There's a lot of single women listening who are like, hmm. He does have two, but you know, they're not necessarily available. Darn. Um, oh, but well. yeah, he's, he's just been so great. And, um, and I, you know, at first I, of course, was very defensive and didn't want to hear it, um, because it was painful. It was painful to think that I had, you know, persevered through all of this and worked so hard to get my degree and go back to school and get all these certifications mm. and, and have this incredible ability to be, you know, an oncology nurse, like we were talking about. And then to feel like it was being taken away without my choice. Right. No, really no consent on your part. Absolutely right. not. You didn't, you didn't sign up for this. You signed up to like care for people. That's what, where your heart led you and your mind led you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So how did you come to terms? And I know what my process was, but how did you come to terms with this fact that your husband was right? that you had to step away from the clinical space completely. And was there a crystallizing moment? Was there something that happened or something someone said? Like, what was the thing that was the final push to say, yep, got to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure this out. How did you make that turn? Yeah, I had been um, really struggling to show up to work um, in the Mm -hmm. last couple months of my bedside career. I mean, to the point where, you know, I felt that I needed help doing my everyday activities um, because I I just couldn't do them on my own. Mm -hmm. And I found myself, (laughs) this is very personal, but I found myself very often just sobbing on the way into work or sobbing, trying to get ready because it, I was just in so much pain. I was so fatigued on a soul and physical level. Oh, Ashley. And, and oh, then man. what really solidified it for me was when I realized I was not doing my patients the way I wanted to anymore. I wasn't serving them in the way that I knew I could. Mm-hmm. I found myself so distracted by my own pain. I I was just a different all of a sudden it was almost like a 
you know, I had, I watched myself out of my body almost, right? Not literally, but that's what it felt like Mm -hmm. where I thought, oh God, I don't want to be this crabby, you know, terrible nurse that I've experienced in my personal, Mm. you know, endeavors here. But I, I just wasn't the nurse anymore that I wanted to be. And I realized, you know what, if not for me, at least for them. And I ended up having to go out on disability again. And, you know, uh, it gives you some time to think when you're couch bound or bed bound for a few weeks. Yeah, I've been there. And the way I've always kind of gotten through things kind of at that time was that I felt very empowered by research. So researching possible autoimmune diseases, researching a new certification for work, researching now, what can I do that's non-clinical? Yeah. So I did many Google searches, and I've talked about this on on a few podcasts and also in a few uh, articles, but really I just kept searching and searching, non-clinical nursing jobs, non-bedside nursing jobs, mm-hmm. and nothing was of interest to me. It was like management or you know, forensics or like Insurance really cool companies, stuff. Yeah, all sorts yeah. of stuff you can do. Medical sales, like there's so many things out there, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Didn't and speak I, to you though. No, not at all. And at first that was really difficult and I I felt very lost. Mm. Um, But I I had this feeling that like, you know, I think I've gotten very hippy dippy since living in California, but I kept thinking I will find my path. Like Mm -hmm. the universe will help me just, it will come, you know? Yeah. San Diego's uh, getting into my brain. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I I stumbled across this very small article um, by a writer, Elizabeth Haynes, Mm -hmm. who is a nurse, uh, was a nurse as well. And she spoke about, you know, becoming a, a freelance writer. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And I've always loved to read and write. And I thought, let me look into this. I reached out to her. I ended up, you know, finding other mentors, other community, other nurses who were doing this. And I thought, well, let's give it a shot. And that was really kind of all how it started. And it just has continuously snowballed into bigger, incredible opportunities with every person I've connected with. And every, you know, it's it's just such an interesting niche. And we're all really willing to help each other. Um, it's true. It, Yeah, it's been incredible. Yeah, the nurse entrepreneurial community is pretty vast right now. I mean, actually, it's growing daily. I think more and more nurses are hopping on the the start your own business bandwagon. And I think it's a really smart bandwagon to jump on with healthcare in various forms of crisis, though we don't want everyone leaving the bedside because then we're really going to be in trouble. And who's going to take care of us, right? I mean, (laughs) I want a nurse there to take care of me when I end up in the hospital, which I've done several times in the last few years. But when we come back from the break, we're going to come back and talk more about your journey and the conference coming up in the fall in San Diego that I hope to attend and see you speak and about a lot of your other plans going forward and how other nurses listening might actually take this ball and run with it as well. So don't touch that dial. This episode of The Nurse Keith Show is sponsored by Carson Newman University, offering a full suite of 100% online nursing degree programs, including RN to BSN, 
rn to msn slash fnp, msn slash family nurse practitioner, and a postmaster's fnp certificate for msn prepared nurses. They also offer on-campus learning for those seeking a face-to-face educational experience. With stress-free clinical placements and unrivaled student support, their CCNE-accredited online courses are designed for busy nurses like you and feature no mandatory class login times. Please visit them at bit.ly forward slash Nurse Keith Carson Newman. That is bit.ly forward slash Nurse Keith Carson Newman. This special link will be located in the show notes just for you, and I thank Carson Newman University for their generous support. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value the show so much, they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty nifty premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Nurse Keith. Those are my sincere asks of you, dear listener. So now let's head back to the studio and dig deeper into today's topic. And we're back. Thanks for hanging out here on the Nurse Keith Show, episode 222, with myself and the amazing Ashley Hay of ahaywriting.com, correct? That's right. I got it right. Yay. (laughs) Didn't even look at my notes. So, (laughs) Ashley, before the break, you shared very courageously and openly about your struggles with chronic illness, starting when you were a junior in high school, and the ways in which... The work you did as a nurse, especially pediatric oncology, really fed you on many, many, many levels. Sounds like intellectually, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It sounds like that really was your heart and where your heart planted itself, right? Or the children planted themselves in your heart, right? (laughs) Right. So then you had to make this incredible shift in identity. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit more. So when you made the shift, and I did the same thing, but I want to hear your story. When you made that shift in identity, was there cognitive dissonance or were you able to embrace it and say, okay, I can do good in the world. It's just going to look different than what I've been doing this last decade or so. What was going on in your head as you made the change and did it get more comfortable over time? It definitely got more comfortable over time. I would say, no, I I certainly was, I was lacking confidence in the beginning for okay. sure. And I had a lot of imposter syndrome where I felt, yeah, you know, I'm a great nurse and, and I'm, you know, a senior nurse per se, right? I'm the one that people can come to on the floor and I can get you that IV. I can, you know, tell you what you need to know about this chemo, but all of a sudden I found myself in this space where I was incredibly green and I felt very vulnerable. And as you know, that can be a real space of fear if you let it become that. Absolutely. Um, But I really feel that what helped me through that was really trusting my own intuition and knowing that I, if, should I want this, if this feels right, if this feels good, let's go for it. You know, we're not going to do it half. We're going to go full force. 
And the other thing that really helped kind of squash that imposter syndrome was finding mentors in the space who had experienced this, who had started green also, um, who had made the shift from bedside to kind of freelance at home. And they told me, you know, if you have to fake it till you make it in the beginning, do it because you'll still get there either way. It's base, It's just a way to trick your mind of saying, you're, it's okay, you're safe and you can do this. You know, and I, it's funny because uh, when I first started, I had no idea where to even look, right? I, I thought, okay, I can be a nurse writer. Sure. Let's give it, you know, let's give it a go. Where do I start? Yeah. Who um, do I write for? <laughs> right. And like, who's going to want me because I have no experience. Yeah. Who's going to deposit uh, money in my checking account? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so I started just writing and I figured, you know what? I, I don't even need someone to, I just need to see if I can even write after, you know, so many years of college passing. <laughs> so I wrote an article. Um, I think my first one was something called like a nurse's sacrifice. And it was very therapeutic for me too, because it brought me back to my bedside years and thinking about, you know, myself and what other nurses sacrifice to be available to our patients, right? Working nights, working weekends, holidays, things like that. Right. And so much more and all that we carry. So I write this article and I think, eh, it's okay. I don't know. So I send it out to allnurses.com and one other kind of smaller website, which I can't even remember who that was. And like four weeks passed. So I'm thinking, all right, maybe I should rethink this because clearly I'm not a good writer, you know? And then I oh, let Ashley. that inner critic, you know, <laughs> those inner article, critics. One article, one query. Oh, no. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and now I, I look back and I think like, oh girl, you know, mm -hmm. come on. Um, but that inner critic can get real loud if uh, if you let it. And it turned out that I was contacted by all nurses. They really gave me my start, which I just, I love those two women um, that run the site that I worked with. And they told me, you know, not only do we love this article and we'd like to publish it, but we'd really like to bring you on as a contracted writer. Um, we think that there's something here, mm -hmm. you know, and and you have a lot to say. And then from there, I um, did some more kind of in print and online work. I got to do some uh, kind of investigative journalism, which was always fun, calling uh, people for interviews. And I got I, I got like quite a thrill saying, hi, I'm Ashley Hay, and I'm a writer for dot, dot, dot. Oh, you know? cool. Yeah, that does feel um, kind of cool, doesn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was just, it was neat. I was yeah. exploring this side of myself that I, I didn't know existed. And then since then, I've uh, got some clients that I consult and write educational content for providers and uh, patients, which obviously the patient education is is close to my heart. Mm -hmm. um, and I am dabbling now in a little bit of um, conference coverage because as a nurse, you know, I'm a big conference nerd. I love to learn. So I thought to myself, I love attending conferences, and now I'm working from home and kind of so isolated. How can I combine the two? And I have found that there's there's quite a few ways to do that. Um, and a lot of these conferences want someone with a medical background to help them cover the press. So I'm dabbling in that. And then, um, as you mentioned before, I'm a little nervous about it, but I'm going to do it. Okay. Uh, I have a big uh, public speaking engagement coming up. 
which I never thought in a million years that pitch would be accepted. <laughs> and I was excited and petrified when I when I found out, but it's going to be great. So. Lo and behold, that's right. That's how I started too. He just like, you put out a pitch and it's accepted and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get up on stage. So I just want to point out that this is at the American Medical Writers Association Conference in November 2019 in San Diego, California where you That's live. Right. So quite convenient for you in terms of travel. And your talk is overcoming obstacles. A nurse with chronic illness shifts her career path. And it, can I read the description? Oh, of course. Yeah. Hear the personal story of how chronic illness led an experienced oncology nurse to a satisfying path of freelance medical writing and editing, healthcare consulting, and entrepreneurship. Learn about the value of connection with others in your desired niche as a way to change your professional journey successfully. And I'm going to do my best to come to that conference in San Diego. One, because I want to meet you. <laughs> Two, because I want to hear you speak. And as I never really thought of myself as a medical writer. I think of myself as a nurse writer, but nurse writers are in the medical sphere. The, mm -hmm. the, the medical, like that's the kind of big catchment area for what we do. And I was asking you before we got on to record if it's an appropriate conference for someone like you or me who we don't write really technical stuff, right? I don't write about like, how to start an IV or how to hang chemo or something. So, and you told me that there's all sorts of different freelancers out there. So if there's a nurse out there listening who maybe hasn't even ventured forward to doing this, could that be a good conference for him or her to attend and just kind of check it out and get the lay of the land? I think so. I think, um, you know, the information now is available um, where you can check the the program for the conference. And I would encourage everybody, you know, if this is even sparking a little bit of an interest in you, check it out. There's so many different talks and um, educational classes going on there that I have a feeling um, there will be something for everyone. And if not, you know, that that's why there's, um, there's so many different kind of communities that you can check out too. Um, the Healthcare Marketing Network, um, that's a mm -hmm. Facebook group that I've been really um, active in. That's another great one to kind of check out. Um, National Nurses in Business Association is another great one. I'm on which the board. I, yeah. I was going to say, I think you're pretty involved in that. I am. Um, so there's something for everyone. I think it really does just take a little bit of of digging, not only in terms of research and like typing away online, but also in, in yourself. You know, there's some introspection that you have to kind of think, well, what do I want? And where do I want to go? Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't have the answer, that's okay. But you will, you know, you'll find it out if you if you want to look for that. Right. It will come. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's good advice. And I, I make the assumption that you and your husband are in your 30s, right? Mid to late 30s? Yes. Right. So you're at this point, this very fulminant point in your career where you're not even 40 yet. You're still... <laughs> You're still like, you've got so much time ahead of you, you know, decades. I was going to say, Keith, I'm early 30s, so don't be aging me too much now to oh, all these listeners. Sorry. <laughs> no, early funny. 30s. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. My son is turning uh, 36 this summer, and I said to my wife, oh, Renee is heading into his late 30s. And she said, no, he's not. He's, he's in his late mid-30s. <laughs> I know. So my husband and I, our birthdays are actually a week apart. So oh, cool. in July, we'll be 34. And he said, 
does that mean we're mid thirties? I said, no, it's under 35. It's early. It's still early. It's either early or late. There's no middle. <laughs> you could say you're in your late, early thirties. Right. Yeah. Now my son is July too. When is your birthday? Uh, the 16th. All right. He's the 10th. Yeah. yeah. So cancers unite, right? That's if right. If you're into astrology. And so, and I live in Santa Fe and you're in San Diego, so go figure. You know, we have to talk about a little astrology or something, right? So with all this time ahead of you and a supportive husband, we didn't talk about what he does, but he supports you. He's, he's there. He's behind everything you've, you're doing and really helped you make the shift from this clinical identity. And it sounds like that shift to a different identity was challenging, but you did it. And now you're, you've fulfilled this mission of making the shift in your career and doing this favor for your health. Cause right. you really needed to do this for yourself, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's made a huge difference. So what do you see ahead of you, one, in terms of your health and taking care of yourself? Um, and you don't have to get too personal, but I'm just curious, like, where do you go from here in terms of living with a chronic illness? I have my own journey, and there are those out there who have theirs as well. And then what's next for you? Like, public speaking sounds like it's now entering the menu. So what are your plans? Like, what what are you thinking about, say, for the next you know, you're heading towards 40. It's a many years away. It's just, just saying. But as you move into the direction of that next decade, which is many years from now, um, what do you picture? Like, do you have an image or a, a North Star you feel like you're heading towards right now? an interesting question. <laughs> well, I will say, just to touch on the age thing briefly, yeah. you know, I, I joke about not aging me, but um, I really... I always have kind of an interesting perspective when my birthday comes up because um, I, I've i never really had an issue with getting older. And in fact, chronic illness has really always made me feel like every year that I do get older and every little, you know, oh, is there a wrinkle here, a gray hair here? Mm-hmm. I really, I feel very fortunate. And it's really because to me, it's true. Every year really feels like so much of a gift. And I think in seeing a lot of young children who are not able to make it you know, past their first decade of life or second, it's, you know, to me, getting older has, has never been scary. It's something I think that, uh, we're all very fortunate to experience. So take that for what you will, I guess. But, uh, in terms of career, what's next for me? Well, um, I have been really just kind of opening my creative faucet here. Um, I, I'm not, really very left-brained. I I had never been anyway. But over the last six months to a year, I've found this just creative drive in me. So I'm this kind of leans into self-care too. I've really been um just dabbling in in different things that I never thought I would get satisfaction out of. But things like painting or drawing, um I'm very kind of like textile heavy. So I like yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I I like getting my hands in the dirt and gardening. I get a lot from that. I've always kind of uh, over many years now been into yoga and meditation, which are great. But, you know, sometimes when your mind is spinning, it, it's not always great to kind of sit still <laughs> for mm-hmm. me. So so I just know what, what my body craves, being outside, being in nature. So self-care is great for that. And um, really what I, I would love to see myself doing in a few years is 
novel writing. Hmm. You know, I think you and I have talked about this. I, I'm working on a book currently talking about, you know, nurses, not just myself, but others as well with chronic illness and how they either work around their illness, um, if they choose to disclose their illness, and just kind of all that comes with that, and the other opportunities that really can exist um, within our healthcare space. So, so I'm working on finishing that up, um, working on kind of solidifying a, a publisher for that. So, you know, I'm open to opportunities. Should should this bring anything my way? Just saying. Um, just saying. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. You never um, know who might be listening. Yeah. But I, right. I think that and um, like I said, the, you know, the conference coverage is, is really of interest to me at this point. And we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this public speaking thing goes. I always swore I would never hmm. be a public speaker. Famous um, last words. Ashley. Yeah. And then, you know, I think maybe in a few years, I'll probably look back at this and laugh. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll see yeah. how it feels. I love public speaking, I have to say. And 10 or 20 years ago, if you told me that I'd be up on stage in front of like three or four or 500 nurses at a time. I'm speaking and laughing and joking around. And I would have thought you were absolutely nuts. But I find I actually really like it. And I find that I can have an impact on an audience. And it's one thing to write or podcast. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's wonderful. And coaching, I love doing my career coaching. But when you're up on stage, and you're actually like looking in people's eyes, and they're actually responding to your content in real time, that is an amazing feeling. And yes, it's not for everyone. And yes, there's a nurse out there listening right now, like saying, no way. Like I would <laughs> never, ever do that in a million years. But then again, I would never want to hang chemo on a little sick child. You know, right. I would say no way to that. So, right. you know, some people are more afraid of public speaking than death. Right. And That's, yeah. I mean, I'm not quite to that extreme, <laughs> I'm but so I'm glad. pretty close. Okay. Um, well, we need but- to talk before November for sure. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, I know you're technically the host, but I was going to ask, you know, for myself and maybe the other ask listeners out there. Are. I'm an open um, <laughs> Do you still get nervous before? And if so, like, how, how do you push through that before public speaking? Good question. Good, good job turning the interview around, Ashley. That is, <laughs> that was skillful indeed. No, that was great. Um, I do get a little nervous. I don't get too nervous these days, but I always allow room for anxiety. And when I was doing yoga teacher training way back in the late eighties at Kripalu and Western Mass, one of my yoga instructors said to me once or said to actually to the class that, when you're feeling nervous about getting up in front of the class and leading the yoga class and doing your thing and holding holding the space for the class and really leading people and you know he said you're creating an experience for them and he said that anxiety you can take those butterflies and turn it into he called it creative dynamic energy so you take the anxiety and you transform it and i don't know quite how i do it but when i get on stage i tend towards being funny and i don't try really hard like i don't tell jokes i don't come armed with jokes but i tend to sometimes get a little slapstick it just kind of mm-hmm. happens and it brings out the silly in me and i also move around like i don't stand behind a podium ever ever even on a big stage i never stay behind a podium because i feel like it's a block between me and the audience so when i'm feeling anxious as a speaker 
physically speaking to a group, I tend to come down off the stage, get on the same level as the people. And I sometimes will walk into the audience slightly. I won't wander around because then people have to crane their neck, but I will make sometimes physical contact. I'll put my hand on someone's shoulder. I'll look someone in the eye. I'll ask someone a question. And as I make that physical and visual and emotional connection with the people in the audience, my any anxiety I have definitely decreases exponentially because I feel connected. So whenever I need something, I decide the audience needs it too. If I feel like the audience is getting a little antsy, I'll get everyone on their feet. I'll say, okay, we're going to take two minute break. Okay, everyone give each other a high five and you know, whatever. So I'll get people to do something and that affects me as well because the energy in the room shifts. So I've seen a lot of people give talks that are literally death by PowerPoint. Like I feel like people are going to keel over and actually like <laughs> stab themselves in the eye because they feel like they're going to die because it's so. <laughs> friggin' boring. So yeah. my PowerPoints- We've all been in one of those. Oh my God. So my PowerPoints tend to be very simple, never more than five or six words on any slide, if I can help it. And I use a lot of video, funny video. So I tend to like break up the, the didactic portion. So I use all these different tools to, to keep my audience's interest, but I also do it to keep my own interest. Does that make sense? That's a fantastic answer. Cool. Um, and I really no like, charge. um, yeah, <laughs> I, I really like, um, and I think this can speak to so many things in your life, but you know, making room and allowing room for these uncomfortable feelings because mm -hmm. we're always so quick, right. To say, Ooh, I don't like how this feels go. I wish it would just go away. Yes. Um, but with imposter syndrome, fear, anxiety, you're right. It's so important to just allow it to, to have a little space to sit in and it's, you know, it will, it will move when it's mm -hmm. ready. Um, yeah. But that's great. There's a Buddhist writer I love. Her name is Pema Chodron, P-E-M-A is the first name and Chodron, C-H-O-D-R-O-N. And if I remember, or you remind me, Ashley, I'll put it in the show notes. She has many, many wonderful books dealing with emotions and how to regulate and process your emotions. And one of the books is called Comfortable with Uncertainty. And mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite books of hers. And the other one, actually, if you're a listener out there struggling with chronic illness, struggling with massive change in your life, Comfortable with Uncertainty is a really important book to check out. And the other book of hers I recommend, and there are many, many, but one I recommend is called, oh my God, now I can't remember it, um, Comfortable with Uncertainty and When Things Fall Apart. And When Things Fall Apart is a really important book for those who are facing major shifts in their lives, whether it's death, grief, you know, professional status changes like you went through. Mm -hmm. Very important references. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I know you touched on this too, but it really does, unfortunately, come hand in hand very often, right? That if when we're struggling physically, especially with chronic illness and things like this, it's certainly not uncommon that you're struggling emotionally or on a soul level. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be very true for me. And that's why another reason why I think disclosure and, and bringing these things to the light are so important. Just hoping that you reach one other person and say, you know, if you're in this, you know, I was there too and it it's okay. And it's just very normal. I think at the time, you know, I felt very alone for a long time in, in a lot of this. And you're always wondering, like, am I the only one that feels this way? You know? <laughs> yes. Um, and that Isolation. is certainly almost never the case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I bet you had moments where you felt very isolated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have yep. myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's why it's so important, really. You know, to do you know your own your own work, really, and and to reach out. Like I said, you know, I've just gotten so much love and support from you know even people like Keith here. We've <laughs> technically never met in person. We you haven't know, yet. But Not yet. And I have many other writer friends, the same thing. You know, we meet regularly on Skype and mm-hmm. I consider them my my very good friends after some point. And sometimes Absolutely. they are one of the first people to reach out and say, hey, I saw your post on Instagram. You know, I saw you're not feeling good. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, what what can I do? Um, and most times you, you don't need anything other than that, just to know that someone's thinking of you and kind of sending you some good vibes. So, That's so right. I'm just really happy that we got to connect. Me too. It's just been really great. You know, watching your recent trip with your husband to France and seeing you fulfill a lifelong dream and eating croissants and reading books, you know, on the banks of the Seine, I was so thrilled for you and living vicariously. And, you know, people say that social media is superficial. And I always say it's superficial if you use it in a superficial way. And I have made amazing lifelong friends on social media, sometimes not meeting them for years on end. And I know you and I will meet in the next year or two. And But you're already a friend. And we can go deep with people because if we allow that to happen and allowing that community into our lives means so much when, one, we work on our own in our homes, right? I'm in a co-working space right now, but I do work from home. And also that we're living with chronic illness or chronic pain or whatever it is. And that can make us feel super isolated too. So I applaud your courage and your willingness to talk about these subjects, which are very tender. And a lot of nurses don't like to disclose this stuff because, you know, it's private and we don't necessarily want to share it. So thank you so much. And my final question is, how can people find you? Where do they connect with Ashley Hay? Right. So uh, you can go to my website. That's ahaywriting.com. Great website, Uh, by the way. Thank you. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Uh, my handle for all of those is A Hey Writing. Mm-hmm. You can always shoot me an email directly. I love to hear from other people. A Hey Writing at gmail.com. That's wonderful. Everything will be in the show notes along with your bio and links to all your stuff and your headshots so people can see how lovely you are and what a friendly, wonderful, welcoming face you have. And I'm sure the children just loved you every minute, just ate it up. So (laughs) Ashley, hey, thank you so much. This has been so awesome. You're amazing. Thank you, Keith. It's been great. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening to The Nurse Keith Show. Remember that the show notes for this episode and everything you need to know about Ashley Hay are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 222. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered and inspired from this episode. And I want you to consider taking some actions every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction and your health and your well-being. And did you know there are job listings at nursekeith.com? That's right. You can find jobs from Reload and ZipRecruiter in the resources section and lots of other resources that can help you 
live the life and work the career and have the career that you truly want. The Nurse Keith Show is edited and produced by Tim Hollowell and his team at thepodcastinggroup.com. And Mark Cappiespeason is our social media ringmaster. Please keep tuning in again and again. We'll continue to explore these amazing interviews with incredible people like Ashley and help you to elevate your nursing career to where you want it to be. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. And this is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful and sunny and warm Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Ashley Hay signing off from San Diego. San Diego. Thank you, Ashley, and many blessings to you. And thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Keith. 